It's your time to Ed Up with America's leading higher education podcast network, the Ed Up Experience, where we make education your business. This is Ed Up Legal with your host, Patty Roberts. She's Dean at St. Mary's School of Law, and she's going to be leading conversations about legal education in today's world. Now let's hear from your host, Patty Roberts. Welcome to Ed Up Legal. I'm Patty Roberts from St. Mary's University School of Law. And today's guests are from iDesign. iDesign partners with colleges and universities to build, grow, and support online and blended programs. They've worked with more than 100 institutions already nationally. And our guests are Paxton Ritter, the co-founder and CEO, and Jared Bruckner, Senior Vice President. And I want to say that I met these gentlemen years ago, well before the pandemic. And one of the things that most excited me about the way that they do instructional design with universities is that they have an unbundled fee-for-service model, a very flexible model that to me was much more beneficial than these 10-year percentage contracts a lot of universities are presented with um, from companies doing similar work. So welcome to you both gentlemen and um, tell us a little bit about what iDesign is working on now. Thanks, Patty. We're, we're thrilled to be here. Um, and glad to have you in, in Texas now too. That's even better. We, we need people like you in the state. Um, oh, love Texas. You, I mean, <laughs> really love Texas and That's so awesome. happy to have two Texans on. You bet, you bet. Um, yeah, so, you know, we're doing a number of things. Um, uh, you know, we've been in the, collectively, our team's been in this kind of online education space for, most of us have been doing it for over 15 or 20 years. Um, we saw a, a couple of opportunities in kind of the online program management market um, over almost a decade ago. But really, in 2011, it was when we began to see, look, this OPM space is very nascent. Uh, there's no optionality for universities in terms of how they go online. There's no flexibility. Universities' needs are going to evolve. And so we said, you know, our hypothesis in 2011 is, look, if we just, you know, if we, it's really 2013 when we implement it, if we just provide optionality in different, uh, uh, in a different value proposition that allows universities to capture more of the economics that, you know, we're, that we're going to, we're going to have some success here. This is a very nascent space. And so unbundled fee-for-service, we were kind of the first company to do that in 2013. So universities could select whatever their needs were, whether it was instructional design, digital marketing, uh, enrollment services, clinical placement. Uh, and that was, it's funny to say a fee-for-service model was innovative, but it was. I think it's been around since the Viking ages. Um, um, but that just shows you how young the space was. The second component was we really didn't see anybody focusing on taking care of the faculty and really driving outcomes and really robust, um, high-quality online experiences. And ultimately, as the space gets more crowded and online is absolutely maturing, quality rises to the top. So we said, let's create a white glove kind of instructional design support model to really take care of faculty and help them have great experiences. And then the third components of, of uh, things that we've been focusing on lately is beginning to, you know, we are not a company that's going to go out and try and be everything to everybody. We're going to be really good at unbundled fee-for-service. We're going to be really good at instructional design. And we're also going to tackle certain segments of the market that we really know and understand. Two of those segments are healthcare and law. 
And, and we really feel like, um, you know, we felt really convicted that healthcare was a great space to be in because of the incredible alignment uh, between getting a nursing or a PA degree and getting a job and the high demand for this. And we felt like that was really in good shape prior to the pandemic. And during the pandemic, obviously there were headwinds in those programs, but now the need for quali a qualified healthcare workforce is beyond anything we've ever seen. The retirement's been accelerated, the fatigue is, is, is unlike anything. And these are people who are kind of the heroes of, of the world. They've been the frontline defense mechanism for all of us. And then, um, and then in the legal space, we just say, wow, this is, this is truly one of the last segments to go online or adopt blended delivery. And, and, and I think as we've watched it play out, you saw online really get, get big for online, you know, master's degrees in education was the first vertical. Then business quickly followed. Business and nursing were kind of the next two. Now you've seen kind of the data analytics and information technology space adopt and scale. And really kind of the two big, you know, major disciplines that are left are really legal, um, uh, the legal space and medicine. And we're even, we've, you know, we've even begun to work with different healthcare entities and help build blended MDs, which is incredible. So um, again, we just think there's a, ton of opportunity and, you know, Patty, you are obviously right. That's right in your wheelhouse of what you're doing at St. Mary. So those are the things we're focusing on. The new kind of things that we're beginning to look at are alternative credentials. These ideas of unbundled um, skills-based um, um, uh, learning experiences that are uh, either very workforce aligned or just lifelong learning that don't necessarily require you to go get a full degree. So those are kind of the things that we work on every day right now. I love it. And um, you certainly got into it early enough and with an innovative enough model that I am sure uh, your phones were ringing off the hook or your email boxes were filling up um, yeah. during the pandemic and after the pandemic. Yes. And I'll get back to that. I'm going to put that aside for a minute because I want to talk to Jared. Jared and I are buddies now from several masters of jurisprudence or masters of legal studies conferences. And, uh, and he visited me at my, my prior institution. We've talked a lot about this space um, in law and how schools can develop these programs. I was really lucky when I came to St. Mary's because they had already been in that space for five years. Now we're in our sixth year of online um, and in-person masters of jurisprudence programs. And they were doing some of the things that Jared was telling me would, would be advisable in the legal profession uh, training. But Jared, tell me a little bit about um, iDesign and your work in particular with law schools. Yeah, well, Patty, I, I echo Paxton's comments. It's really great to see you in Texas. We're very excited <laughs> to have you. Is it, you know, so the, on, the so online education in 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 law schools has been really interesting. You know, about four or five years ago, I mean, it was really really small. There were almost no law schools doing anything online. There were there were there were just a couple, and they were really big brands, and they 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 really kind of put master's programs online. So not the LLM programs, but master's programs that would compete essentially with like. MBAs or, or, you know, kind of standard business um, degrees. And they really took off, you know, they saw their enrollment scale pretty quickly. And then after that enrollment scale, they started to put some certificate programs and some alternative credentials, right, to, you know, to help in, in a lot of ways, they were kind of focused on the business community. And you saw executives and others who said, hey, you know, what would be really important is if I had if I had some education, I don't need to go get a JD. And I don't know that a master's degree is right. But 
you, you saw people seeking after, you know, some of those, some of those skills that you get from law school. And, you know, they really saw that would help. And so over the last five years, we've seen just this massive acceleration in terms of the number of law schools who are doing something. And oftentimes what that looks like is starting with some sort of master's programs. Sometimes it's an LLM, but more commonly it's been just, you know, master's for non-lawyers. And then what you've seen is credentials or alternative credentials or those stackable credentials have come along with it. And then now most, I think the most recent trend, and I think what's really exciting to me is we're starting to see JD programs more and more become flexible, right? So they're offering some online options and some hybrid options. And, you know, and obviously what you're doing at St. Mary's is very forward leaning, but I think the most exciting thing to me is, you know, Paxson will kind of, I'm sure talk about this, but you know, at iDesign, we really kind of see this movement away from talking about online versus something, right? It's, it, 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 we're going to quickly kind of see those lines blur. And in the future, we're just going to be talking about education and that modality is going to be a lot less important. And I think with legal education, what, what I really see, and I think the exciting thing for law schools is to be able to expand your audience. You know, that's one of the great things is, you know, you're no longer bound by some of those kind of tight geographical boundaries or, you know, even, even some affordability things, you know, become more accessible, right? If students don't have to live on campus full time, or if they had a little more flexibility to maybe work and also study at the same time, you know, because because they're not they're not set into a daily schedule of you know uh, of when classes are available and things. So, you know, and I think that's specifically for you, Patty. I think it's one of the things I'm most excited about seeing is the access to legal education that this really begins to open up. You know, as you you know, as you become a little bit more flexible in terms of, you know, the modality. So uh, the, the exciting thing in, in legal education is I think we're going to really see it grow. You know, the number of programs have grown. And in terms of just enrollment trends, every time, every time we see a big jump in programs, we see a big jump in enrollment, which is really exciting. It shows there's a lot of demand there and a lot of people are looking for that education. Well, and there's so much need for access to legal information. Um, access to justice with um, those states that are moving towards a model where non-JDs can be giving some sort of limited practice assistance. Um, it will help in access to justice, but then as you said, access to the profession. We felt really strongly that an online JD was very mission central to us, just having that option for those people who can't move here from South Texas in, in particular. Um, and there's, interest out there. Our applications for our part-time program, which is now transitioned to the online program uh, for the first cohort in the fall is are up 650%. So um, there's a lot of interest. And I'm confident that uh, as the ABA approves additional programs that we'll have a, a great deal of increased online offerings from the schools or the national law schools. So excited to see that happen. Um, there are many law schools that are jumping on board, some because they're going, well, shoot, one, we sort of did this during the pandemic, so now we at least have a little bit of an idea of how to do it and, and want to do it well. But then I think there are others um, who are like, boy, we better get on this bandwagon. We've got a, a demographic cliff coming, you know, as far as actual mm -hmm. JD students, those who are going to go to college. And so I'll ask both of you, if I am a dean, who's going, shoot, we really need to get into this. We really need to get something going. What does that look like when I'm working with iDesign? Yeah. yeah, 
That's a great question. And I can give you a lot of examples and we kind of tie it into what we've seen really since 2020 as well. We've had schools like, uh, you know, Emory Law and uh, uh, Brooklyn Law School jump in, you know, kind of head first from a, hey, we're going to put a master of jurisprudence online or in a blended fashion. And we've got a very focused idea of what that value proposition is and how we're going to take that program to market. Um, you know, others, uh, and you can do it that way. You can say, look, we want to be strategic. We were looking to go fully online. It just depends upon how um, aggressive you want to be in going into the space. And yet in higher education, you've got to balance innovation with the culture of the institution. That's just the reality of higher ed. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, we could talk all day about that. Um, um, but it is what it is. And so and it's also interesting, you know, what we saw and traditionally, a lot of our engagements before 2020 were, hey, we have a degree we want to put online. Can you help us build it, support it on an ongoing basis? Sure. We love it. That was our bread and butter. It continues to be a big part of the business. But then in, you know, golly, April, May of 2020, we began to get a lot of calls for, hey, we can't just, we're not, we're not taking the degree online. We have to do a full institutional digital shift overnight. And so what we created were what we call instructional design support center solutions, which was kind of like a instructional design help desk on steroids to help these institutions um, put a thousand courses online and faculty would get in and do what they can. And then we were there to kind of plug in the gaps and help with issues. And there's just so much as, 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 as you know, higher ed jumps in. And obviously that whole process accelerated kind of the digitization of education by about a decade. But schools like, you know, Vanderbilt and Baylor and the University System of Maryland, they were all jumping in, doing this and doing a really good job of, of supporting kind of the institutions, the faculty and the students as they went through this. But what I thought was really interesting is all of those schools began to purpose some of those hours to their uh, to their law schools. And increasingly, we began to see a lot of uh, law school professors experimenting more and more and more in blended and online delivery as a result of the support that the institution was receiving. And that's across the board for all those schools. And so I think it outlines a couple of different approaches. You can, you can be way out there. You can be like St. Mary's and, and, and be an innovator of leading the way. Um, or you can say, hey, let's at least start trying to build some blended even if it's one, two, three, five courses, let's give this a shot. Let's go test and iterate, which is higher ed is excellent at. And, and I think that's what you're beginning to see is we're, let's, let's either stick our toe in or maybe we can, you know, you know, stick our arm all the way in. It just doesn't affect, but do something. And, and so, you know, to your point, Patty, is so we saw that kind of transpire in 2020. 2021, um, was very interesting because um, a lot of schools, I think the reality of the enrollment loss from 2020, 2021, over those two years took shape. And I mean, you know, undergraduate enrollment was down a million students across the board, 6.6% from the fall 2019 class to fall 2021. 2021, everything, everybody kind of was in damage control. Budgets Absolutely. were reduced. Like, hey, what are we doing? Let's kind of stabilize the ship here. And now what we have seen really once those kind of fiscal year reset in July of last year, third quarter, first, fourth quarter, um, universities are being much more diligent and, and conscientious about allocating budget to online because this, this isn't just a side gig 
for higher. This is part of the mainstream mission of a lot of universities. It's really encouraging seeing universities um, invest in online education as a core part of the of the strategy of the institution more so than they ever had. And so, it's we've been it's been a fast and furious start for us in 2022. It's been great to see the market play out that way. It's terrific, and you're offering so many options because um, I know that if a law school comes to you and says, I'm not sure where to start or what to do, you have a menu of options and ideas and we'll brainstorm with them. And I wonder, Jared, do you know um, if you had to guess kind of the percentage of law schools who are intentionally creating online options um, at this point, would you have a, an estimate? That's a, that's a good question. Um, it's a tough one, I know. So you don't have to know it because I don't know it. But I just I, wondered. I, if I don't know it. I mean, so we 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 pull data, you know, a couple times a year, and we try to you know stay on top of kind of the latest. You know, some data is usually published once or twice a year around that. I mean, at last count, I can tell you that I don't know the exact percentage. I know that it's grown by a little over twenty percent a year for the last four or five years, and That's so you're you, yeah. you're seeing a ton of programs and a ton of options come up. So. What I would tell is out of out of the out of the ABA accredited law schools, I mean it's over half, well over half. And then I think, you know, you know, if you exclude a few that I, I'm I'm not sure ever going to kind of change the way they do things, or you know, won't for a long time, right? You know, it's like your Harvards and your Yales. I think if you kind of take those out of the mix, I mean it's 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 an overwhelming majority. So I think my message from that as a law school dean is I would think if I'm not doing something, I should start doing something. Would would you all agree? 100%. I, I don't think, I think that goes for any discipline in higher education right now. Online was already being adopted pre-pandemic at a really good clip. And now it's just like we went from 2020 to 2030. <laughs> uh, and, true, and so yeah. my, whether it's a big audacious initiative or whether it's um, just starting to build some of your first blended online courses and delivering some students and collecting data from those experiences, everybody needs to be doing something um, in law schools in particular. Um, and just because, I, and I think if you, there's not a whole lot of like early mover advantages left in the online education space. Those have really transpired over the last 20 plus 30 years. There are still significant early mover advantages in the law school arena in terms of online and digital adoption. So um, if you're looking, if you want to be bold, the opportunity is there. Uh, so I would, you know, I would always encourage people to go that route. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, for law schools, we've had such a homogenous uh, approach to the model of how we teach law for so long. And um, what I'm finding with students who did have to go online um, and who are now choosing some online options is they're saying things like, I loved being able to listen to the lecture more than once. Like I learned better that way. I loved not you know, being on the spot and instead being able to participate thoughtfully with discussion boards or you know, over an extended period of time. Um, I had one student uh, who wrote me a long description of the secured transactions experience she had. And this was a student who said, I should like not even have passed secured transactions. And I got an A in this entirely online course because of the way that it was designed. Mm -hmm. So um, I don't think, I don't see um, 
law schools making legal education 100% online across the board. That's just not, I think we're probably 50 years away from something like that. Yeah, but sure. I do see, as as we are going to do, I, I do see a space for a small percentage of those who are uh, learning the law doing so online. And it's the people that we have, uh, we've accepted 11 of our 25 so far. You know, it's it's the people who can't live their careers. It's the people who are taking care of parents or students, or it's the people who are deployed, you know, so there are, there are some people for whom this will be very beneficial having more online options. Um, So you are doing some really cool things. I mean, I looked at the news section of your website and I could have talked about 25 different programs, but I'm going to use the two most recent and one program you're involved in is Carnegie Mellon University's Integrated Innovation Institute, and then the University of Notre Dame's new online certificate in ethical leadership. Um, So I'd love to hear a little bit about those programs or any others you'd like to highlight. Yeah, sure. No, those are two great ones to talk about, two of the more recent ones which we're just thrilled about. Uh, You know, both of these are, are, are centered around alternative stackable credentials. Um, that that you know everybody is taking to market right now, and, and um, you know obviously Notre Dame's doing this on Coursera with its Mendoza College of Business, phenomenal institution. They're gonna, we really think that 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 standalone credential is gonna have a ton of success, uh, given the brand, the quality of the instruction, the quality of the faculty, and then the ability to disperse via a, a Coursera-like mechanism to to the masses. Uh, what Carnegie Mellon is doing is super interesting. Uh, and it's they've really been very diligent how they thought about this. And there's a couple of trends. Number one, they're offering a number of stackable credentials in the product design, product management space that can ultimately lead into a master's degree. And so, you know, what is driving validation of alternative credentials? Number one is employer validation. And we've begun to see that from the tech companies like Google and you know IBM and Intel, where they are really beginning to prioritize that these industry certificates that they've created specific to what they do, they want they they're going to begin to use a skills-based hiring approach, and they're hiring people with those credentials. That's number one. Number two is can you take? There is still immense value of degrees in the market. Can those credentials ultimately? Can those stackable certificates ultimately lead to a pathway? And we, there's a lot of talk around pathways in education, but pathway to a degree, which is still a huge deal. And still, univer- it, 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 employers are still highly valued that. And so what I think is really cool about this is that that's the way that, um, that Carnegie Mellon has thought about it. It is how do we use these stackable credentials to lead a degree? What's also cool about it is, number one, I think I'm just a degree in product management. You know, like years ago, like, if, you know, what did the top MBA students go go do? Maybe a decade ago, or golly, how long I get out? 15 years ago, Ooh, makes me feel old. But what, what was the prize job? Well, you go out and you graduate from a top business school and you go work as a consultant at McKinsey or Bain. Or, it's so know. funny. You were saying the, the dream job. And in my head, I was like, yep. A consultant at McKinsey or before yeah, at, at, or Goldman, like that yeah, was like exactly. Shangri La, like where they were. And now, guess what? All the students want to be—they want to go be product managers for Amazon. 
uh, or, or Facebook or Meta, whatever it is today, uh, or or um, uh, or Google. Um, and now that is where a lot of the talent is pouring in. Carnegie Mellon is one of the most innovative universities. Think about the self-driving technology that was born out of that institution and just the phenomenal research and development that goes out of that for them to get in this and in, in, in to, to use this integrative innovation institute to do it is phenomenal. But secondarily, it's this interdisciplinary experience too, which is another big trend where you're bringing in representation from engineering design and business and bringing it all together. So these are not only these alternative credentials, these are interdisciplinary certs um, that are that are giving a more holistic experience across different disciplines. And I think that's that's another thing that you're seeing pick up is, is interdisciplinary collaboration at universities. And I think that's something that kind of you don't immediately notice in the Carnegie uh, Mellon announcement, but that's also another really cool feature of what you're doing. That is very exciting. I'll, I'll watch that um, with great anticipation. The um, but one thing you brought up, you know, Apple and Google and Amazon, all these school, um, all these companies are starting to have their own education programs. Um, yes. Do you see them as complementing traditional higher education or do you see them as competing with traditional higher ed? You know, I, I would tell you a little bit of both, but I'd probably lean towards more in a more complementary fashion. Um, you know, I, I was looking at like there's a piece in uh, uh, a new website called Workshift that I read every time they've got great. It's really about kind of workforce education, the whole upskilling and reskilling movement. You're seeing companies like Guild lead. Um, but there was an article today that said, look, if you look at the number of job postings in 2017 for computer programmers that required a bachelor's degree, in 2017, it was 83%. Uh, in 2020, it's 79%. So there's been some movement, but there's still a lot of value around a bachelor's degree. And even like with the whole MOOC movement, what you began to see was people who were really getting and leveraging these alternative credentials had a bachelor's or master's degree. This was a supplemental defined skill set that they could stack upon, stack on top of their, you know, more traditional bachelor's or master's degrees experience in higher education. And that's, it's, it's not really an either or, right? It's both, right? And, and I really think that's, that's where you're going to see things get traction because what they, they have proved is proven as, you know, Google, yes, if you want to train somebody to develop on their Android operating system, who do you think is the best best person to develop that? Well, who knows how to do it? It's probably Google. Well, it's not probably, it is Google. They know, they know how to teach the skills that they need to build on their platform better than anybody else. But what I also think is a very, very potent idea is, and, and it's, and it is the, you know, I was a liberal arts major and I love liberal arts because I think it teaches you to critically think, you can articulate yourself, you can write, you think, you know, you're not so siloed. You have a great perspective. Hardest thing about getting a liberal arts degree is getting a job. But most liberal arts majors that gets that job, they are very, very successful. If you were able to pair up a liberal arts undergraduate experience with a, what I would call a finishing six-month boot camp credential in a technical field, that to me is like the ultimate graduate and, 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 and somebody that's going to be very, very well equipped to be successful. And, uh, and so, you know, I think people talk about the demise of liberal arts. I think there's ways for 
the trends that are going on in this credential space to really enhance the liberal art experience as well by pairing defined technical skill sets with that more broad-based liberal arts education. Really terrific idea. And I wonder, Jared, do you have a similar thought about how law schools might do some of that stackable credentialing and, and upskilling, um, it, not only what they're doing already, but what maybe they should do? And if your answer is good enough, I might just not ever drop this episode so I can keep it for St. Mary's, but I'm just warning you that at the outset. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. In the, in that stackable field, I think you know the idea there is to really kind of look at, at skills gaps or emerging skill sets that that the folks might need. And so, oftentimes in the last few years, what you've seen is a lot of the stackable credentials started with things around technology. You know, so you're taking people like Paxton said who are who are well equipped, they were successful already, but maybe they were looking to to gain a skill or two. And I think in legal education, I think. I, th- I think you see that sometimes, right? So I, I think there can absolutely be needs in terms around technology and, and thinking about skills that, that, that lawyers are gonna need or that you know, are gonna be really, really applicable in, in the law field. But also I think there are a lot of skill sets for lawyers around, you know, I think there've been massive shifts for lawyers in terms of the way they work and the way that they, you know, the, the way that they engage uh, with public. And so I think there's a lot of things around there. I'm holding back one really big idea, Patty. Actually, it was it was something that you and I had discussed. But I, I think there. I think don't say just, it. Don't say it. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not going to let it out. But, but I think I think that idea is is an absolute home run. But I think you know, anytime you think about those stackable credentials, so I'm I'm staying away from specifics to just say, you know, if you look because every market's going to be a little bit different. Every law school's going to be a little bit different. You know, St. Mary's and San Antonio is going to going to have a little bit of a different appeal than like say Loyola sitting up in Chicago, right? Or you know, maybe a Columbia up in New York. I think the audience is going to be a little bit different. Of but course, looking yeah. at those those fields and especially, you know, things things think around technology, especially and, and I think yeah. one that's really becoming big is around finance. You know, so so lawyers really understanding, you know, kind of the new world of finance and how things are working. You know, you've seen credentials around programming and utilizing and thinking about blockchain technology and, and that have become really, really popular because frankly, I, you know, we, I, I think we sometimes think we understand that stuff, but we, we don't understand it that well, right? And so, you know, being able to, to have something and saying, all right, I don't have time to go back to get a master's degree in this. And frankly, I don't need or want one or want to pay for one. I just need some, I need some of those skills. And so it's a really kind of a competency-based thinking. That's a great you know, idea. Add, and I actually don't know anything. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not even going to pretend about blockchain. <laughs> just to add on to that, I think if you think about stackable credentials and online delivery of those emerging in the legal field, where the success of those credentials is going to be is going to be centered around how technology is changing the way lawyers operate. And that is where those, and, and that goes for, you know, for, for any sort of job today. But I think that's where, when the effect that technology has in the legal profession, just think about the advent of natural language processing and how that affected document review for lawyers and the efficiencies that that drove. Those are the, and whether it's, you know, how is blockchain gonna affect uh, the, the title business? someday right yeah. like in the in the legal ramifications of that it's a perfect application 
um, um, for blockchain technology. And those are the kinds of things, this, it's, it's the technology changes the way we work and the way we traditionally operate in our professions. Those are the credentials that we need to be training for the next generation of lawyers. And I think that's where the success uh, is gonna be is you're, you're really aligning your, your educational offerings with the, um, the new world that, you know, this kind of fourth industrial revolution that's kind of happening right in front of us. Well, I usually wrap up, and, and I will, with um, the question to my guests of how you think the legal, uh, that legal education is going to evolve in the coming decade. I think kind of this whole episode has been um, focused on how that evolution might be. But if you have any concluding thoughts, um, I'd love to hear them. Just echo probably what, what Jared said earlier. I think we live in a world of blended delivery now, whether it's a hybrid remote face-to-face -face work environment, whether it's um, hybrid blended gatherings where you're seeing each other some of the time face-to-face, -face, but not all the time. And I think blended education is just playing out right in front of us right now. And I think that blended delivery um, of legal education is going to reign supreme probably over the next 10 to 20 years where you're able to do a lot of didactic information on your own time, on your own schedule without having to drive to campus. And then you're using those face-to-face -face synchronous experience for intensive application-based um, uh, you know, assignments. You're not, going to, you're not going to campus to listen to kind of a stage on the stage. You're going to apply what you've been learning during, during the week. And I, I really feel like that that's gonna play out in legal education. That's gonna play out in all of education. Jared, anything else? What do you think? No, I, I think that's, I, I think that really sums it up. Well, I'm so excited um, to be here in Texas with you uh, to learn more about what iDesign is doing. You all have been uh, prophetic, I have thought, for years since I first met you. And I'll continue to, uh, to take your advice and guidance. Um, but thank you. And for our listeners, if any law schools are out there or other disciplines are out there that want to talk to iDesign about um, developing some blended or online programs at their school or just supporting their faculty who are doing that. It sounds like you guys have the secret sauce to make that happen in um, a cost-effective way for schools, but also you have tremendous and diverse experience with lots of different kinds of institutions and programs. So best of luck and thanks for being a guest. Thanks, Patty. Thanks, thanks so much, Patty. This has been a blast. This has been another episode of EdUp Legal with your host, Patty Roberts. EdUp Legal is part of the EdUp Experience podcast network, bringing you the brightest and most influential minds across higher education and beyond. Here at EdUp, we make education your business.